How much do you love me? That's not my question. That's a question that the king, that's a question that a king asked his three daughters. How much do you love me? I love you as much as my eyes, the first one said. And I love you as much as my heart, said the second. The king was very pleased with their answers, and so he rewarded them handsomely. And I love you as much as salt and water, the third one said, which made the king angry. And so he banished her from the kingdom. But she found her way to another kingdom, the prince of which fell in love with her and asked her to marry him. So she invited the, her father to the wedding, but she ordered the servants not to serve him his food with any salt or water. And as all of the guests were enjoying the sumptuous feast that was provided, he was struggling to eat. She came down and said to him, now do you realize the importance of salt and water? Now, today's message will focus not so much on salt and water, but on salt, the importance of salt and light. Salt and light. We're in the book of St. Luke's, chapter 11, verses 33 to 36. Jesus himself teaching, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part or no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now this teaching by Jesus was part of his larger teaching from his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew renders it a little bit differently in his gospel. So let's take a time, a little minute to read it with Matthew places an emphasis on salt and light. He says, you, Jesus still speaking, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, a preacher once said that the greatest threat to Christianity is not communism. It is not atheism, materialism, or humanism. The greatest threat to Christianity, he says, is undercover Christians. Those who never share their faith, don't live out the Christian life, and won't involve themselves in God's most significant work on planet Earth, which is saving souls. So here's our first point this morning. We must sprinkle the salt 
on a decaying world. We must sprinkle the salt on a decaying world. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says. Now, salt was the only preservative 2,000 years ago. There was no refrigeration, and so salt was so valuable that it was often traded for gold. I'm told that a Roman soldier would often be paid his salary in salt. And so if he didn't do his job very well, he wouldn't get all of his salt, which is where we got the expression, he isn't worth his salt. Now, does anybody here this morning doubt that our world is decaying? Does anybody doubt that? The signs are everywhere. Our morals are decaying. Our relationships are decaying. Our politics is decaying. Our institutions are decaying. Our ecosystem is decaying. Whether you believe in climate change or not, everywhere you turn, the signs are there. Signs of decay. Christians are the last best hope of preserving the holiness and goodness of God in a decaying world. Christians, we, are the last best hope of preserving the holiness of, and goodness of God in this world. That is why Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Were it not for you, everything else would have collapsed a long time ago. Salt is the only thing that is preventing the world from total and utter collapse. You, Christians, Jesus says, are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now the picture behind me is of the Dead Sea where much of the salt of Jesus' day came from. See, the Sea of Galilee, I'm told, flows into the Jordan River. I have to say I'm told because I've never really been there. But um, you would look back here and you would see, if I'm able to find this pointer, that this here is the River Jordan. And it flows into the Sea of Galilee, which flows into the Dead Sea right here. And so I'm told that once the water goes there, when, once the water gets into the Dead Sea, there is nowhere for it to go. It just stays there. There's no outlet. And so the, once the water is there, it is trapped, and the heat of the sun causes it to evaporate, leaving behind much of the salt that was used in that day. Salt was used for seasoning meat and for flavoring as well. However, any dampness in the atmosphere, I'm told, would ruin the salt. It would cause it to dissipate and it would cause it to lose its saltiness. Now, the worst thing that you and I as Christians can lose is not our health, as important as, as that is to all of us. It is not our wealth. It's not our job. It's not our family. It's not even our lives. The worst thing that you and I as Christians can lose is our saltiness. And by that, I don't mean our crassness or coarseness, because those things are not supposed to be known of Christians. I mean our Christian flavor. When we lose our saltiness, we lose our ability 
to preserve the lives of those who are around us, those in our family, those in our neighborhoods, those with whom we work who are not Christians. When we lose our saltiness, Jesus says, we're not worth our salt. We are good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Nothing ruins our saltiness like our compromise or our conformity with the world. That means living and behaving as the world does. When we do that, the world conforms. When we do that, the world conforms us to itself rather than us transforming it to God's way. A man said, quote, I looked for the church and found it in the world. And when I looked for the world, I found it in the church. Now listen to these very disturbing trends cited by Barna. You know him as a, as a man who does a lot of research. He says, children from Christian homes now watch more MTV than those from non-Christian homes. And you know that MTV, what it does is that it feeds you a steady diet of sex, violence, and whatever the culture is selling, you can find that on MTV. And I'm being told that Christians, I mean, children from Christian homes are now watching even more than those from non-Christian homes. Secondly, I'm told that evangelicals, that is those who attend a Bible-believing church, they account for one in every six abortions that occur in America. Over half of Christian teens, that is 55%, have engaged in foreplay and sexual intercourse by the age of 18. The divorce rate among Christians is comparable with, if not higher than, that of non-Christians. That is exactly what happens when we lose our saltiness. Jesus says we become good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled on the foot by men, which means that the world loses its respect for us. Now, how else do you expect the world to react when we use the same curse words as they do? We drink the same beer as they do. We enjoy the same entertainment that they do. We ignore the same Bible as they do, and we neglect church just as much as they do. The average non-Christian looks at the Christian and says, they're no different than I, so why, why bother being a Christian? I brought with me this morning Randy's salt shaker. It has some salt in it. And do you see how nice this salt looks in there? It's very attractive. I mean, it's white. It's attractive. It's pure. However, it is not worth anything as long as it's in here. It's not beneficial at all as long as it stays in there. It has to be sprinkled on food for it to be beneficial. As long as it stays in there, it is of no benefit, no value. We are the salt, and the salt shaker is the church. And God intended for us Christians to get out of the shaker and be sprinkled on the school, the marketplace, the playground, the neighborhood, where we can do some seasoning. If we stay in here, 
There's no value or benefit to our seasoning. I'm told that a man walked into a small grocery store and asked the owner, do you sell salt? And he responded, do we sell salt? We have an entire aisle that is stacked with every kind of salt imaginable. Morton salt, iodized salt, kosher salt, sea salt, rock salt, garlic salt, seasoning salt, Epsom salts. That's a lot of salt. We even have a salt room, he says, and we have a huge basement which is filled with every form, size, and shape of salt that you could imagine. Wow, you really do sell salt, the customer said. No, we don't, the store owner replied. We never sell salt, but that salesman over there that comes by every week, does he sell salt? <laughs> here's the point. Stay in here, and we are of no use until we are sprinkled wherever our sprinkling is needed. Secondly, we must shine the light to a sin-darkened world. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. Now, if salt relates to our Christian character, light relates to our Christian conduct, what we do. Salt is who we are. Light is what we do. Light dispels darkness from our bodies and from our surroundings. No darkness whatsoever can dwell wherever there is light. I dare you to prove me wrong. No darkness can exist where the light is. Light also attracts attention. If we lived in a dark valley and we saw a light on a hill, our eyes would immediately go towards that light. Jesus commanded us to let our lives be like a city on a hill because this dark world desperately needs the light that comes from your life and my life. Now, several times in the Bible, we are commanded to shine as lights in this dark world. And so the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, For God said, let the light shine out of darkness. In Philippians 2.15, Paul continues, Be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you serve and shine as lights in the world. Paul also says in Ephesians chapter 5, For you, he's writing to Christians, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world, so walk as children of light. Now, I have no idea whether the, this couple that you're going to look at in this video that I'm going to show in a little bit, whether they are Christians or not, I have no idea. But what they did for this boy in this video is exemplary of how we need to let our lights shine for Jesus. Let's just take a minute and look at that video. Changes life. I just life. wanted to see if you, if you knew any kids around, like, 11 or 12, maybe, because I need, I, need, I need some friends, like, from really bad. Although the Ray family doesn't have any kids Shaden's age, they posted the video to TikTok, and it blew up. They also started a GoFundMe, raising nearly $40,000. What my life was like before was kids were manipulating me and telling me that they will be my friend, but when they, when they ask me to do something horrible, it's just... I don't feel like they're actually my friend. 
Before going viral, Shaden didn't have the confidence to be himself. He stems very hard. He flaps his arms and he makes noises that a lot of people have made fun of him. So he told me, I just deal with the pain of just holding it in so that I don't get made fun of because of it. And that hurt. <laughs> that broke my heart. But now my uh, self-confidence has gone through the roof. If you can be the one to, to stand out and you know help somebody else, set that trend, make that the trend to be set, to not be a bully. Mm -hmm. Shaden's mom hopes his story brings attention to an issue so many face. He's been hospitalized because the bullying was so bad and he felt so isolated. If you see it, just advocate for that person. Just be there for that person. Do not let that person suffer. Shaden wants to leave everyone with this message. How would you, how would you like it if someone were to bully you? How would that make you feel? These were just regular neighbors. They had no idea that their good work in accommodating this little boy would be projected all over the world, shining their light. Jesus says a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. As I mentioned before, I've never really been to Israel. Maybe one of these days, Randy and I will get to go. But I'm told that you can see little hills which are called tells. That was very fascinating to me. I never knew that, that hills are called tells in Jerusalem, in Israel. Jesus says that a city that is set on a tell, a hill which tells, cannot be hidden. Neither should your light nor mine. Your light as a Christian should be on a lampstand, Jesus says, where it gives light to everyone in the house. Or, or your life should be like a city that is on a tell so that it can shine brightly there for all to see. I'm told that this little boy was playing with his dog in his front yard. It's a half-breed mongrel, I'm told. He was playing with him in, the, in his front yard, and this man walks up and says, Hey, son, what kind of mutt is that? He's no mutt, the boy answered very angrily. He was upset that he was referring to his dog as a mutt. He's no mutt, the boy answered, rather upset. He's a police dog. Well, he doesn't look like a police dog to me, the neighbor said. That's because he's in the Secret Service. <laughs> but there's no such thing as a Secret Service Christian. You must be a tell. Your life must be a tell. A city on a hill whose light will shine brightly for everyone to see. I find it interesting that Jesus did not say, you can be a light. He doesn't say, you should be salt. He says, you are. That is who you are. So that can only mean that you and I must be sprinkled on a decaying world to preserve it, or that we must shine in a darkened world so that they might be able to see. Here's a third and final point. You must share the truth to a dying world. Here's how Jesus concludes. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now that raises a question for us. How do you know if you're really being salt and light? How do you know that? 
How do you know that if you're being sprinkled, as you should? And how do you know that you're shining, as you should? Well, here is the test. If men can see your good works, if your good works draw people to God and causes people to glorify God, that is how you know. Now, there are two significant days in the life of a Christian, I'm told. I shouldn't, I shouldn't wait to be told that. I should know that. <laughs> you know, really, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just hearing myself say that. I'm like, I know, I should not be told that. I should know that. The two most significant days in the life of a Christian is when, first, when that person comes to the light. When a Christian, when a person comes from darkness to light, that is significant. The second most significant is when you, by your life, by your works, by the way that you shine and by, the, by being salt, you bring somebody else to the light as well. So when you live your life in such a way that you, that you attract people to Jesus Christ and they glorify God, your Father, that is how you know that you are being sprinkled like salt and you are shining as the light. Real mark of a Christian is that they make it easier for others to come to the light as they have indeed experienced. No amens on that one? Children, look at this watch, the teacher says. What is it good for? To tell the time, they all said. Well, suppose the watch doesn't keep time anymore. What is it good for? Good for nothing, they all replied. Showing them a pencil, she asked, what is this pencil for? To write with, they said. Well, suppose a pencil doesn't make a mark anymore. What is it good for? Good for nothing, they answered. Then taking out a knife, she asked, what is this knife for? To cut things with, they answered. But suppose it won't cut anything anymore. What is it good for? Good for nothing, they responded. Finally, she looked at the class and said, children, whatever else you do, if you do not glorify God by the way you live and bring others to glorify God as well, then what are you good for? And they all responded, good for nothing. Just think about that for a moment. You, you, Jesus says, are the salt of the earth. You cannot afford, I shouldn't say you alone because that, this applies to me too, you and I. You and I cannot afford to lose our saltiness. We are the light of the world. We can't afford to hide who we are. Jesus is counting on us to sprinkle the salt and to shine the light so that others who see the good works that we do might come to know Jesus and glorify our Father who is in heaven. The bottom line of our message is that God needs fruit from your life that will bring him glory. If I planted a tree, especially if it were a fruit tree, I would be looking to that tree for its first fruit. God is looking at my life and at your life 
and he wants fruit from it, and he wants not just the fruit of the Spirit, and I don't mean to imply that the fruit of the Spirit are not important, they are important. He wants to see the fruit of the Spirit from our lives, but he also wants to see the fruit of other people coming to know Jesus through our life. Three application points in closing. I want to say to you, first of all, get some salt and light in your life. I'm sure that there are enough cooks here to know that, that fish, meat, or chicken that is not salted or refrigerated very soon, they will, if you leave them out for a day or two, you come back, you are going to find some things in them called maggots. <laughs> and you are going to find that it gives off a smell in your house that you would wish that nobody would come there at that time. <laughs> A ship that is on a sea in the dead of night would quickly perish if there were not a lighthouse to steer them away from the rocks. That is what a person's life looks like who hasn't allowed the saltiness of Jesus to season their life or the light of Jesus to guide their life. If you're here this morning and this applies to you, I want to ask you this morning, would you come to the light today? If you're viewing online as well. Would you come to the light? Jesus wants nothing more than to dispel the darkness from your life and to fill your body with light. Fill it with light. Will you let Jesus' grace and truth come into your life? All you need to do is receive it by faith. God, I pray for somebody here today or somebody viewing online who knows that they need the light in their life. I pray that Jesus, who is the light of the world, would enter their hearts at their invitation that you would dispel any darkness, forgive any sin, bring them to the light, reconcile them with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Secondly, I want to challenge you to refuse to be a secret service Christian. Never be ashamed of who you are and whose you are. Never be embarrassed at the name of Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed to declare yourself an ambassador in the king's service, an ambassador for Christ. Now, the last time I checked the news and the culture, nobody was ashamed anymore to come out of the closet and tell you exactly who they are, whether they're trans or whoever. Nobody is ashamed anymore to let you know who they are. Except Christians. Except Christians. Somehow, we seemed afraid or ashamed to come out and say, I belong to Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm different. We are salt and light, Jesus says. So let's live as if we're both. Let's be bold about it. I don't mean obnoxious at all. I don't mean, to be, I don't mean that we be offensive. But let's just proudly declare that we're Christians. Just like everybody's proud to tell you who they are. Let's be proud to tell people who we are as well. Amen? Thirdly and finally, 
Let your faith produce good works. Let your faith translate into good works. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't do good works. It just doesn't, doesn't exist. Now, there's a man who appeared at the, at the pearly gates. This is obviously a fictional story. All right, and when he got there, St. Peter asked him, why should I let you in? What good work have you done that merits you coming into the pearly gates? Well, I can think of one thing the man answered. Once I encountered a gang of high testosterone bikers threatening a young woman. I directed them to leave her alone, but they wouldn't listen. So I approached the largest and most heavily tattooed biker. I smacked him on the head, kicked his bike over, ripped out his nose ring, threw it to the ground, and told him, leave her alone or you will answer to me. Wow, that's impressive, St. Peter answered. When did this happen? A few minutes ago, he said. <laughs> Which is why I ended up here. <laughs> now, we don't need to do anything dramatic. We don't need to do anything that makes us martyrs. We just need to be known for doing good. Let's just be known for doing good. And let us pray that the good we do will cause people to come to Christ and give honor and glory to our Father who is in heaven. Let us pray together. Oh God, you have shined your light into our hearts. You have dispelled darkness from our lives. Now our whole bodies are full of light. God, help us that we live as children of the light. That our words, our actions, our attitudes would be like the salt that flavors and the light that shines in the darkness. Bless your people today, Lord. Help us to represent you well wherever we go. And God, we pray that during the course of this week, as we rub shoulders with our neighbors, with our friends, with our co-workers, that there would be some seasoning that goes on, some light that emanates from our lives, bringing others from darkness to the light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.